So. Hello. Is that hello? <laughs> so here we are doing uh, what seems slightly counterintuitive as a recording method, but um, yeah, hopefully that should work successfully. It's only a test for now, anyway, isn't it? Counterintuitive or advanced? Maybe advanced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this may work or it may not, but the aim is to try and make it seem like we're actually in the same room together, even though we're not. I think we can fra frame it as a technical uh, innovation. Yes. I mean, you know, if this isn't a complete disaster, we'll just stick this up as a podcast. It's exploratory, isn't it? I think that's, a, that's the way to look at it at this point. I think that we can use this as a kind of a show and tell or a demo of how do you start to create, uh, well, we've talked about pair programming. That's kind of where we started off, wasn't it? So this, yep, this, yep. this is pair programming and recording. Yeah, that's, that's definitely right. It's certainly, um, hopefully, we'll pick up each other's mistakes as we go along and fix them, which is kind of the fundamental thing. Yeah. But I think the point is that, you know, this idea of people actually being as close as possible working on something rather than actually being really separated uh, is, is an interesting one. Lots of people try uh, to make it work, but um, I really like the idea of trying to do it with a podcast because it's good to record over Skype and things like that, but um, it'd be nice to make it sound just that little bit more together. So um, we'll see how we get on with it. I like the idea of barrier-free learning because no. one of the things around you know the self-agency that appeals to me is that it's a network it's got a network capability for anybody who's involved to get it, you know, get into some barrier free learning. You know, I, yeah. I came over to Barcelona to do my website with you because we knew that we could just do it out of the box, if you like, by, by working collaboratively, collaboratively together. But I needed to travel. And, yeah. and at the time we knew that actually the ideal would be that you don't even need to do that. Although there's lots of benefits to be had from, being in a new place and having new ideas as well. Yeah, so I mean, I think this is an interesting area because um, some things, like you say, it's inevitable that you're not going to be together at the same time to do stuff. And I think actually the most successful things that have come out recently have really tried to recreate that. I think I'm looking particularly at the way that things like Slack have kind of built over things like email um, in the sense that they're trying to make things conversational. They're actually trying to encourage those little bits of the conversation that aren't just about work, so that you feel like you're actually all gathered around the same place. But obviously technology does still get in the way of things, so it's worth putting that little bit of effort in just to see how we can use some little bits and pieces to overcome those barriers, those learning barriers that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's some sort of interesting tensions in place because one of the things that technology does so well is automate and make things easier. And yet it does strip out these little opportunities for discovery at the same time. And yep. one, one of the things I learned when I was involved in um, that tribes project that Seth Godin did was it was it was the act of collaborating in real time without a script that allowed things to come out of people that they didn't know were there or were expecting to discover. And that was yep. the real value. So. You, you know, there's something around being able to create environments in which that discovery process is a part of the technical revolution and it's not a casualty of the technical revolution. Well, it's, it's no coincidence that um, the thing that everybody gets the most from conferences is the bit where they're not actually being talked at by somebody on the stage. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, it's, a, it's funny that everybody knows this and yet it's rarely the thing that people 
sort of sell or promote or work the most out in terms of the experience that people get. But I think absolutely right. This this freedom, or not not I'm not advocating boredom, but there's a lot of research that's been done just around the idea of getting to a point where. You're, you're not being delivered things, you're not being told things, you're not having to absorb things, and your brain stops for a minute and thinks, right, what, what am I going to do? Mm. You know, this kind of boredom moments that they are increasingly finding to be really useful for creativity and, and discovery. I think that's really fascinating as well. Yeah, I agree. I think I think what might be called boredom today was called reflection a few years ago, you know, a few yes. decades ago. But we've got minds like flies now, you know, and so our boredom threshold is about one and a half nanoseconds whereas before it was maybe 10 and so we don't allow ourselves to have that reflective time I mean there's a lot of interesting work being done with children who are digitally native who you know would freak out at the idea of a vacuum in their life because there's so much content and there's so many things to do and they're hopping from one device to the other or, or handling several at, at a time you know and that's where mindfulness has come from is that that sort of opportunity to have mindful practice around how we configure our technology to help ourselves and yeah i think that's kind of pretty important as well but but being able to do it in a live experimental fashion with people around you who can help you get there yes absolutely and i think that it, it partly it takes some courage to not program every minute with something that you think is going to make something go in a particular direction. Um, but like you say, you know, part of that design process is just the consideration of the environment and the other people that are there with you to, to kind of help you through that process. So that sort of neatly brings us on to this week in April again, but this is going to be part of the consideration uh, of the stuff that we, that we do and that we think about in that kind of period of time is to not create boredom for people, but to focus not so much on the programming of things, but actually the context of things that, that people are in. And um, yeah, I think that's probably, do you know you've got something else? Well, I have, because, you know, just thinking about that and our own narratives and collective narratives, one you were talking just now, the phrase that popped into my head was the idea of the runtime. You know, so mm -hmm. here we are and we, as we podcast, we're committed to a live spontaneous runtime you know if if this is a drama or if this is a narrative you want there to be surprise and things to crop up that you didn't necessarily know were going to happen you know that's that's good drama good narrative good experiences that's very different from programming so you know i think the idea of creating interesting runtimes using yeah. programming is kind of the essence of it for me and so you know as we speak there'll be little eureka moments or little oh wow moments or, or things that reveal themselves or Maybe that even dead time as they call on radio yeah <laughs> but but not calling it that because that's quite a negative perception of something which is just actually time to think and and kind of go in a different direction the spaces in between the words are as important as the words themselves no, that's reminded me. That's reminded me of the thing about I can't remember what country it is, but as particular culture, and it might be Finland, um, where it's entirely normal to actually think before you answer a question. This is this is the thing. So apparently, if you have a conversation, and instead of this feeling that I've got to jump straight back in with an answer to something, which is like a classic sort of interview situation, it's okay to stop for a minute and actually ponder. Um, the question that somebody's asked and give a decent answer to that question. And, and there was somebody at this thing, this, uh, yesterday when we were at this thing at uh, DEFRA, one of the people on the panel did that, and I really liked it. Um, um, one of the, the guys who was speaking, every time he was asked a question, he just stopped 
for what seemed like quite a long time when you're when you're in a, a panel situation, but to actually think about answering the question as best as he possibly could, and I thought that was quite interesting actually. It does come down to performance anxiety, doesn't it? Really, you, you know, I love that too. I love it when people can have the confidence to play around with the tempo of the cause and effect of things in their life, um, whether that's a presentation or whether that's a conversation or whether that's uh, something that they're creating. Um, and what stops us is this sense that we have to keep the audience satisfied to the point where anything that deviates from a constant patter creates an anxiety. And yet, yeah. and yet I know exactly what you're talking about when you go, Yep, somebody who will just pause and let the moment be is demonstrating a heightened level of mastery that we very rarely give ourselves time to have or to acknowledge. And wouldn't it be great if that dexterity, the virtuoso um, in each of us was something that we had the room to manoeuvre, to accommodate, to enhance and to develop? I think that's right, and I think that's partly um, a, a confidence thing to be to be confident enough to allow there to be a pause for you to sort of gather your thoughts. But I also think that somebody explained this uh, a while ago to do with listening, and the fact that people listened really badly because one of the things they were doing while they was listening, while they were listening, was thinking about what they were going to say in response to what they were already hearing. So that actually limited their ability to just absorb the information that somebody else was giving them because they were thinking, how can I jump in with something? How can I have an immediate brilliant response to the things that somebody else is saying? And that kind of interplay, that modelling of the conversations that people do in their heads, um, I think is a really fascinating thing. So just getting back to a very simple listening uh, and having pauses and thinking about things is, is interesting, I think. Absolutely. And even in improvisation friend of mine uh, and I have gone on a few improv um, courses where there's this almost a, a sort of irresistible force encouraging us to institutionalise even improvisation. So at the end of a sentence, you'll pick it up by going, yes, and, or that's right, Bob, or something which builds on what the other person has said, whether or not you've had the time to think about it. The idea of improv is that you will keep that going in an almost institutionalized sort of format, you know, because we have these desires for protocols that we understand. And yet, how much less are we of ourselves when we live our, you know, our lives around protocols? I'm very happy for the protocols to be about code, about the threshold of interactivity, where you kind of know what you where you stand and you know what the basics are of your toolkit, if you like, so that we can deinstitutionalize the way that we can connect and we can do that in more creative ways. I think for me, self-agency is about really developing skill in both the programming and the unprogrammed parts of our lives. Well, I think that's probably a good point to end because uh, I think that's a really nice um, way to finish the podcast. So um, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see how this has worked. And uh, if it's successful, you'll be listening to it right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye and thank you. Bye.